Welcome to Living the Questions, a podcast of the Unitarian Universalist Church of Cheyenne. Thank you for joining us. Here on Living the Questions, we wrestle. We wrestle with life's dilemmas, we wrestle with current events, and we wrestle with what it means to live lives of integrity. We hope that you find some community, some comfort, and some hope in this time together. To learn more about our congregation, you can visit our website at uucheyenne.org. Welcome, friends. Our question this week is one that is near and dear to my heart. It is one that I think we could all use a little wrestling with, and it's this. How can we listen to ourselves more deeply? How can we take those principles of deep listening that we talked about last week, and how can they become part of how we listen to ourselves, to our bodies, to our spirits, to our entire being? And so our podcast this week is not just our sort of traditional wrestling with the question, but rather it's an opportunity to explore one very specific kind of wrestling with this question. This coming Sunday, October 11th is National Coming Out Day. And the coming out under the closet, the uh, out of which one must come, are really complicated. It's really complicated. Um, there's the reality that um, there's not a simple or clean coming out for most queer people. There's not like, well, one time I just made an announcement and then that was it. That was it. I was done. Right. Coming out is a gradual process, right? Both that the first piece of it is coming to out to ourselves, right? Coming into terms with our own identity. But then also the persistent and constant coming out of every time that you encounter someone and you have to correct that person's assumptions about your gender and sexuality and who you love and who your family is and how you express yourself, the pronouns that you use. Um, So coming out on an ongoing basis is less about just making an announcement and more about, um, right, what does it mean to dismantle the closet to begin with? And so wrestling with all of that and all of those things, we are going to do some of our usual segments, but then we are going to just get to dive in to listening to coming out stories. Let's go. To get us started, I want to talk about how we are seeing this question show up in current events and how this question can help us as we wrestle with current events. So our question is about listening to ourselves more deeply and specifically on this podcast, we're talking about National Coming Out Day and recently uh, in, uh, um, you know, a decision from the Supreme Court, Justices uh, Thomas and Alito essentially wrote a thing about 
how they, uh, you know, their grave concerns about the Obergefell um, Supreme Court decision, which for those of you who do not know, Obergefell is the Supreme Court decision that legalized same-sex marriage in the United States on a nationwide basis. Um, Right, and they they cite it as, they use some language, maybe it's like trampling or something like that, or that it's, you know, basically that Obergefell is walking all over our religious liberty. And as a queer clergy person, I just... um, I will say I do not feel that the Obergefell decision tramples on my religious liberty. Um, And I will say that when I see folks with these really just like super grave concerns about what my marriage means for their religious liberty. I feel like they must be just so disconnected from reality, right? From the like the lived experiences of others. And so I wonder like how disconnected must they then also be from their own lived experience, from their own reality. Um, and so thinking about, right, like what the mental gymnastics that it takes to believe that, you know, the fact that my wife and I can, um, right. Jointly file a tax return, uh, infringes on uh, the free practice of their religion. It's just, huh, it's a real head scratcher. And I think about the fear, the fear, just the fear that lives among so many people. Um, that, that leads them to a place and a position where, well, like I said, where, you know, my marriage is impacting the free exercise of their religion. And um, it also makes me think about what, that we, that we can allow fear to play such an outsized role when we, like I said, when we're disconnected, when we're out of touch with our deepest self and our truest self. And um, it's just sort of mind boggling and head scratching and frustrating all, all at once. And so I'm, yeah, Maybe this question doesn't help me make sense of this week's news so much as it reaffirms for me why it matters to be a person of faith talking about the rights and dignity of LGBTQ folks in our communities. Because if I am silent, then 
the only faith voice in the room, or if, you know, and if people like me are silent, the only faith voice in the room is one of fear. And I refuse to believe that we have to be driven by fear as people of faith. And I refuse to believe that um, faith that comes out of fear is healthy or helpful or true to the, the movements of the divine in our world. To ground us in our own Unitarian Universalist history, as we uh, embark on this question together, I want to talk a little more loosely about our history. And in some ways, I want to talk about our more recent history as Unitarian Universalists, as we think about um, what it means to listen to ourselves deeply and what it means to be a religious community that values folks who are listening deeply to themselves. And specifically as it relates to the LGBTQ community, um, both within our um, membership of lay people and within our, uh, you know, our ranks of religious professionals, folks like clergy, ministers, religious educators, musicians, things like that. And, um, you know, Unitarian Universalism has long had a relationship and before it was Unitarian Universalism, right, both Unitarianism and Universalism. Um, and our individual congregations were engaged in, in some way with different facets of um, queer community. You know, I know that, right, there are congregations that hosted meetings of the Mattachine Society, um, just sort of an early group for what would, you know, then have thought of themselves as homophiles um, or homosexuals. And right, so there's been, you know, kind of these adjacent relationships for a long time. Um, and that our denomination officially affirmed the full humanity, inherent worth and dignity, general goodness um, of lesbian gay and bisexual people in 1970, which is a year that makes me feel torn because there are some ways that that feels so late in the game to make an official proclamation that um, my sexuality is, you know, I don't know, valid in the eyes of our church. And so part of me is like, hey, what took you so long? And the other part of me feels so proud and blessed to be part of a religious tradition that recognizes my full humanity, uh, because there are lots of religious communities that still do not recognize the full humanity and goodness and inherent worthiness and beauty and wonderfulness of queer people. And so um, I, I just feel so torn about that. And I, and I also feel, um, maybe what I'll say is that I feel an even deeper pain that 
it wasn't until 2007 that our General Assembly affirmed the same inherent beauty, goodness, and and dignity of our transgender siblings. And that's um, that's really recent. That's really recent. It took us a long time to feel like we were in a place where we could collectively say that as Unitarian Universalists. And there have been a lot of strides made. We've done incredible work um, within individual congregations and within our denomination to figure out what it means to live our values around our trans and gender nonconforming siblings being wholly beloved just as they are. And um, we have a long way to go. And so maybe that's the piece of our history that I want to invite us all to be considering, right? And I think it, it certainly holds true within Unitarian Universalism, but I think it also holds true in our broader society. The truth that we have come a long way on uh, LGBTQ rights um, and what it means to build communities that are affirming of queer people and trans people and gay and lesbian people and bisexual people and pansexual people and our full, the full complement of our rainbow. We've come a long way. And, um, and gosh, we've got a long way to go. So for our podcast this week, we are going to get to witness to coming out stories. And like I said earlier, coming out stories take all kinds of shape. Some of them are funny. Some of them are heartwarming. Some of them are heartbreaking. Um, some of them involve family members surprising us with how generous and kind and loving they are. And some of them involve family members surprising us with how fearful and hateful they are. And so these are tender stories, um, like really tender stories. And so I invite you to, to hear them tenderly. And I want to um, start with my own coming out story which is like most coming out stories, not like a single one and done narrative, but actually a series of realizations and conversations and thoughts and new language to describe old feelings is maybe how I would best put it. Um, so for those of you who don't know, I was raised Unitarian Universalist. Um, I grew up at the Olympia Brown Unitarian Universalist Church in Racine, Wisconsin. And I, um, actually, I had an out gay minister as a child and as a teenager, the minister who uh, was there for my entire 
growing up time. He was there for like 42 years. So he was there for all 18 of my growing up years. Um, and, uh, and there were um, older LGBTQ folks in the congregation. But I didn't really know like young adults. I didn't really know people who were in the age bracket that I would consider cool as like a 13, 14, 15 year old, right? I didn't have people who, when I looked at that next generation up, that I felt like I could see myself in. And I think that I had, right, based on the, right, like based on the lesbians that were in my sphere of understanding as an adolescent, I thought, well, okay, so being a lesbian means like a certain set of things. And it means that I have to have like a certain kind of goddess theology. And it means that I have to like listen to a certain kind of music, so much acoustic guitar and feelings. Um, And it means that I have to like be an older woman because most of the lesbians that I knew were women who had come out after marriages to men. And so I like, I just couldn't see myself in any of the queer adults that I knew. And so because I, I, right, because I sort of couldn't see myself in them, I think that I proceeded apace with the uh, the dominant narrative, right? I was just like, well, if I, that, I'm not that. So I guess I must be straight. And I actually didn't come out to myself or anybody else until I was in my early 20s after I had graduated from college. And sometimes when people who know me now hear that, they're like, wait, what? That's not possible. Didn't you grow up Unitarian? Like, what's wrong? Um, and I think that I and my story, right, like I'm a testament to the power of heteronormativity, a testament to the what a powerful force heteronormativity is in our society and how it can warp your thinking, how it warped my thinking about myself and how it made it so that I like wasn't listening to the data I was receiving from myself is maybe how I'll put it, right? Like there were things that if I had, if I had had the capacity, the time, the, the support to like really listen to myself and to see myself not through the eyes of others, but to see myself as I was, I, I'm, you know, I maybe would have realized earlier I feel like the funniest example of this is that when I was in college, I was walking around um, on the campus of Arizona State University, and it was um, like rush season for Greek organizations, right? Sororities and fraternities. And I got like somebody just walked up to me. And I will say that I uh, was not a person who sororities just walked up to on campus to like hand rush materials. But somebody walked up to me and handed me Rush materials, and it was for the sorority Gamma Rho Lambda, which for those of you who know your Greek alphabet will know that that loosely spells girl. Gamma Rho Lambda 
was the queer women's sorority on Arizona State's campus. That's right. I was literally recruited, recruited by the queers. And I was like, no, that's not me. So I, uh, I'm i grateful for a patient universe that let me <laughs> ignore its persistent attempts to help me see who I was and that I needed a little more time to get myself together. Um, and uh, as part of preparing for this podcast, I think I, I reached out to a couple of friends and was talking about like, do you remember how I came out to you? Like that was such a wild time in my life in the sense that I all of a sudden had to like reveal this information to a lot of people. Um, And I was talking to one of them. And so when I asked her, how did I come out to you? She told me, oh, don't you remember? You sent me a postcard. And I thought, I said, I, I, what? I sent you a postcard? It was like the year of our Lord 2011. And I chose to mail this friend a postcard. Um, right, almost as if I wanted the most distant but still casual way of communicating this piece of new information to her. And uh, it was just a reminder for me of... Um, how there's no one way to come out and there's no one right way to come out and uh, that sometimes when we're struggling to communicate who we are to the people that we love, we will take whatever method we can get. Even though in retrospect, I feel like I might have owed somebody who I had been friends with since the sixth grade at least a phone call. And so coming out stories are not about a big reveal. They are not about, um, you know, a lightning strike moment. They are about the slow realization of who we truly are and how we want to love in this world and how we want to be in this world. And so I am grateful for each and every person who submitted a coming out story, both those that you'll hear me read and some that you'll hear in people's own voices. And um, if you are wondering, if you are wondering if the way that other people see your gender, your sexuality, your orientation, if you feel like the way people are perceiving it is wrong. I just want to affirm that you are holy and whole and beloved and that the way that you love and live is valid, even if you never tell anybody, even if you carry the secret to your grave, you are loved and you are beautiful. And that if you want to tell people It's okay if you don't know what to tell them. It's okay if you don't have a label for it. It's okay if the metaphor of sort of stepping out of a closet doesn't feel true to you. However you want to tell other people about what it means for you to live authentically, tell them if you want. 
And if you need support in doing that, I encourage you to reach out. Here in Wyoming, you could visit wyomingequality.org. And then in wherever you are, there are myriad resources to help you and support you and love you through it. So in a moment, we are going to hear some coming out stories. I am grateful to everyone who submitted a coming out story, whether in writing or in their own voice. If you are a queer youth and you are listening to this podcast, some of these stories include conversations about parents and families not being supportive. If you listen to these coming out stories, and it makes you concerned or fearful or worried, please reach out to an adult you trust. And if you don't have an adult you trust, please email minister at uucheyenne.org, and I would be happy to talk to you. Our first coming out story comes to us from the Reverend Julia McKay. I remember it vividly. Right after I came out, I spontaneously began composing all this music, um, lots of gorgeous, beautiful music that uh, really touched my soul and seemed to speak to others as well. And I found myself wondering if my creativity, if my creative vitality resurfaced as I was getting in touch with a more authentic sense of my sexuality. What else was hooked up in this way? And then I realized that all life energy was sourced from the same place. It's not spirit good and body bad, but that our creativity, our sexuality, and our spirituality are all healthy aspects of the same soulful being. So, you know, to me, the struggle for identity is exactly that. It's the fight against all that kills that authentic spark in each of us. And in a conversation with a high schooler just this week, he said, it's the struggle to hold on to the me-me. And I said, yes, yes, that deep down sense of you. And I believe what Thomas Merton says, that the capacity to be in contact with the particular little grain of gold that is your center, that's the freedom that matters. Queer people should never be asked to choose between their gender selves, their sexual selves, their affectional selves, and their spiritual selves. And in fact, I've come to believe that coming out can be a spiritual move, actually is a spiritual move, and that coming out is actually a coming in, coming into contact with that truer sense of ourselves. Hi. So you want a coming out story? Well, there's coming out, and then there's coming out, and then there's coming out, and then there's coming out even more. I was called a lessee in high school, and I didn't know what that meant. So I went to the library to look it up in the dictionary, because that's what you did in 1970, and found out there was a name for what I was doing with my best friend. So I came out to myself. It took me 
close to another 10 years to come out to my mother. And in between, I came out to my friends. My mother said, oh, you just haven't met the right man yet. And then out of her mouth was, and what do you girls do in bed? Oh, my God. Bless her heart. Coming out lasts a lifetime. This coming out story comes to us from Roger. I didn't come out as trans until I was 37. I'm 40 now. My husband has been super supportive and encouraging. My mom and dad have both recently passed away, but I did get a chance to tell my mother before she died. She was extremely unsupportive and refused to accept it. It caused a rift between us. When she died, and I knew I was seeing her for the very last time ever in the funeral home, I stood over her body and looked into her face. Nobody else in the room. And shakily whispered, Mom, my name is not Stacy. My name is Roger. And I'm not your daughter. I'm your son. I love you. I'm sorry. And then I walked away quietly, still shaking. Thank you, Roger, for this tender story. Hi, friends. My name is H.P. Rivers, and I'm a religious professional serving a congregation in Florida. My coming out story happened in the church. I was having a pastoral care session with my pastor, and I had a lot on my mind, and I couldn't really focus, and we did a um, mind-clearing meditation. And as soon as my mind was clear and I was settled, I just kind of laughed. And she said, what is that? And I'm like, I-, I can't. And she said, no, really, what is that? And I said, I'm super effing gay, dude. And that was it. And she said, congratulations. And it was the most perfect and beautiful coming out I could have asked for. And I am so thankful that it happened in a UU church, which has always been a safe place for me. I came out as a lesbian at 14. My mom had gotten pregnant as a teen and then had me when she was still quite young. So as a kid, I had a cool mom and spent a lot of time around all kinds of people. You would think coming out was easy. I mean, my mom had gay and trans friends. What's one more baby lesbian in the group? But I was scared. So I did what any young millennial would do. I sent my mom an email. That's right, a big old gay rainbow email that pretty much said, Mom, I'm gay. The time between sending that email and her coming home were probably some of the three longest hours of my life. When she got home, I just kind of stared at her to see what her reaction was going to be. She told me, though it was a little different because I was her own kid and she hadn't really expected it, she still loved me and everything was going to be okay. I was relieved. A little while later, she looked at me, smiled, and said, I'm actually kind of happy that you're gay because now I don't have to worry about you and teen pregnancy. This coming out story comes to us from D. Morgan. Over the years, I have had many different opportunities to come out to different people. The scariest one was when I finally came out to my parents at the age of 32. 
I had several things going on, and I decided to tell my parents with a letter. In the letter, I told them, one, I changed my name, two, I'm a recovering alcoholic, and three, I'm a lesbian. Imagine my surprise when my parents were the most upset with the fact that I was a recovering alcoholic. They argued vehemently against the very thought. I really had no idea how my parents were going to take my coming out. I was very nervous that they might decide to disown me, as had happened to so many of my friends. However, their response was, We've known that since you were in high school. I was blown away. I thought I had been so secretive in high school and college, but they knew. Maybe it was the Charlie's Angels notebooks and folders I insisted on using in high school. I feel very blessed that my entire family loves me and accepts me for who I am. They have always accepted, loved, and welcomed my partners into the family. Although I didn't know it at the time, even when I was bullied and harassed in my hometown of 8,000 people, I could have leaned on my families for support. They would have stood by me had I known to ask for help. They continue to support me and love me just as I am. Thank you, Dee, for that story. Hey, this is Emily in Central Pennsylvania, recording my coming out story. I, uh, I came out to my parents when I was about 22. Uh, as bisexual or sometimes pansexual, depending on who I'm talking to. And of course, my parents immediately said, no, we would know if you were gay or, you know, but over the years, they've become more accepting. Um, I'd say out here, people, I still have to come out to people kind of continuously. People will say, oh, how's your husband? And I'll say, nope, that's my male partner. Um, So it's a process. Uh, That's what I would say about coming out especially as bi is that it has to happen over and over and over again. My name is Tara. I'm 25 years old and I shared with my loved ones a couple years ago, um, not that I was coming out of any closet, but that I was coming more deeply into who I am as a queer person um, coming into who I am just as a person. And part of that was my identity uh, of being queer and that I was inviting them to um, walk with me as I continue to come into myself. Um, That narrative works much better for me than the idea that I was hiding and then was coming out, but instead that I am in a continual process of coming into who I am and that I'm grateful for them to be on the journey with me. Thank you. Thank you to Julia, to Jane, to Roger, to HP. Thank you to Adina, D, Emily, and Tara. Thank you all. Thank you for your stories, and thank you for being willing to share them with us. What a blessing to witness to them. Thank you for listening. Your presence matters to us. Whether you are here in Cheyenne or across the globe, we are grateful that you would spend this time with us. If you'd like to connect more with our community, you can visit our website at uucheyenne.org. 
I'm the Reverend Hannah Roberts Villeneuve, and on behalf of a grateful community, thank you. We'll see you soon.